Hello! Welcome to To Be Determined with Devin Cunningham. That would be me. Episode 25. We made it. Took a long time, but we got here. <laughs> so thank you to, our, uh, to, my, to all of the faithful dozens of listeners out there. The dozens and dozens. I appreciate it. Uh, don't mind the music in the background. I'm recording this intro in the music office uh, right before church. Uh, so there, the orchestra, we have an orchestra here at uh, Caltab because that's how we roll. And uh, we're, uh, you know, just doing a little warm-ups, a little rock ages. And uh, so there you go. You get to enjoy that in the back. Uh, today's episode, I don't really have too many announcements uh, quite yet. We do have, like I said in the last episode, we're going to be revamping a few things, getting some things uh, uh, situated for the future. I'm excited to bring that to you. Um, but I'll talk more about that once things are more concrete. Uh, until then, uh, I think it's good. We just get right to it. Uh, my guests today are two returning uh, previous guests. Of course, uh, the future Dr. Andrew Herps, uh, quite a smart fella, and uh, a TBD favorite, Vincent Cole Roberts. Uh, these awesome guys are uh, going to fill us in on what they've been reading. Uh, these uh, are proclaimed intellectuals, so we're going to put them to the test, and uh, you're going to enjoy the conversation. We bounce around probably more than, <laughs> than any any other conversation that we've had on uh, To Be Determined at this point, but it was a lot of fun, and I, I hope you enjoy it. So here it is, episode 25, Vincent Roberts and Andrew Herps. Buckle up. And let's get to it. But do be mindful of the microphone because it is going to um, pick. Just <laughs> breathe. <laughs> but keep it, keep it close. Keep it close. Uh, on time. <laughs> okay, so. Gentlemen, Andrew Herbs, Vincent Roberts, thank you for joining me today. Uh, I wanted to ask you both about a recent trip you all took just right off the bat. You took a trip down to Bloomington. Bloomington. I'm trying to figure out what you're talking about. The half, the half price sure. books down there, the most magical place in the world. I mean, not talking about Harry Potter, but, you know, does that place sell Harry Potter books? I'm sure. Scandalous. All kinds right. of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a bookstore. <laughs> well, okay. So you two love books. You all are connoisseurs of books. I think that's... I would say, yeah, you are a connoisseur. Okay, maybe you, you delve into certain types of books, but you enjoy reading. I want to start with Andrew. Andrew, I'm nosy enough to ask, what did you buy when you were down there? Um, I first went to the religious section, and unfortunately, that half-price book, so it's an outlet. They didn't really have too much in the religious section, but they have a very good history section. So uh, most of my time was spent looking through the history stuff. I bought a couple biographies on a couple presidents. I had to ask Vince for all that stuff (laughs) for for, for good good offers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
ask him for permission to buy a car. <laughs> so are, these, are these two liberal? Stay or in your lane, or? Andrew. Stay so in your lane. He's like, yeah, that guy's a socialist. You should buy that one. So <laughs> Vince is very socialistic these days. He goes through phases. All the social phase right now. Um, as long as it doesn't stay that way when it comes time to vote, I think we'll be okay. He's out of that phase. <laughs> Uh, what else? What else did you uh, check out down there? I thought you would have delved into more of your, of your, like I said, your lane, your vein. But you're you've kind of spread out into sounds like American history a bit. Well, I I try to get a variety of stuff, for, or so I because I want I want to get to where my library is diverse enough to where I can just pull something off the shelf from any historical era. You know, and and so it's kind of. Where you know, I, I bought I bought a couple things on some Russian history, some of the czars, yeah, yeah. got it, yeah, things like That's that. So just just kind yeah. of a variety because some of those eras, like for instance, I bought a uh, an Andrew Jackson biography. I, I know just you know a little bit about him and the some of the Russian history, like I just mentioned. That's been an interest to me. Um, probably the I got the two books I was most excited about is I got a a book called Voices from D-Day. And the book is all about soldiers that were actually on the beaches at D-Day and giving their account of it. So that was <clears throat> probably my favorite Did one. Did they get Brother Oakleaf? I haven't looked far enough to see. Okay, well, I, I just, they probably missed I've him. read the introduction, I think. Did he do the introduction? <clears throat> he did not, unfortunately. Oh. Who did the introduction? <clears throat> I don't even remember. I'd never heard of the author. So it was, oh. a, it was a brand new author, nice, new book. Nice, I'd never seen nice. it before. And then the other one that I got that I was really excited about was <clears throat> called the Calamitous 14th Century. What? Because what the, is that? The 1300s were, if you were living in Europe in the 1300s, you literally thought the world was going to end. <laughs> <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. Because <laughs> you had the Black Death, you have major problems in the Catholic Church, what, what they call the Avignon Papacy, where the, pa- uh, where the popes moved from Rome to France, and they lived there for 70 years. Yeah. Some of the most despicable popes lived in that era. Uh, you have the 100 years war between France and England. And <clears throat> you have just, just these massive issues. The Black Death killing millions and millions of people. So it's just a, a really interesting era because there's just so much conflict and just so much craziness that's going on. You there's have drama. <clears throat> lots of drama. You yeah. have some of the, the first, what they call like the, the pre-reformers, people that were trying to... Uh, correct the Catholic Church, and some of them even trying to break off from the Catholic Church. You have some of the first English Bibles being written or translated, rather, in this era. So the 1300s wow. is a very, uh, as yeah, as you said, dramatic time period. And so that and that author was Barbara Tuckman, and she's a pretty celebrated author, from what I've seen. I've, I've nice. I own one of her other books that I'm trying to get into as well. But I was excited about finding the calamitous 14th century. Well done, Andrew. Well done. Vincent, what did you pick up when you were down in Magical Bloomington? Lots of love poetry. Poetry. <laughs> a lot of biographies of Stalin and Lenin and Trotsky and Wonderful. Communist Manifesto. Know the enemy or, you know. And, and some Noam Chomsky. <laughs> no, I actually, I, when you said that, when you asked him that question, I knew I'd get the same question. I don't remember. Nice. But I do have a lot of them in the car right now. Because I think I've got we can pause. We, we can pause. Uh, but um, I, I guess of note, I got a couple of Richard Nixon's books that he wrote himself. 
one is called Immune, which I thought was a great title for Richard Nixon. <laughs> um, Why is that a great title for Richard Nixon? For, for someone... And gentlemen, let's make sure that uh, we really conscious of the mic there. Yeah, get right into for it. For someone that uh, obviously has a very... Uh, he's known as one of the worst presidents. If, he, if Watergate wouldn't have happened, though, uh, historians have postulated that he would be remembered as one of the most successful presidents of the 20th century because mm -hmm. of some of the stuff he did. Now, we know, based off his personality, he was kind of a character. But uh, <laughs> it's just funny to me, to I can see him, I guess, sitting there writing a book. We're going to call this one In the Arena. Is, uh, he wrote this? Yeah, this is his book. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, I, I, don't, I didn't read any of the reviews. I saw Richard Nixon. I bought it. Last time I bought one. That's of his, an easy sell. Last time I, I I bought one of his books and I bought uh, Kennedy's book. So I put one. I think I think Kennedy only has one book, but it's uh, Profiles in Courage. So I bought that as well. Uh, and then I bought the Aeneid. Is that how it's pronounced? The Aeneid, Aeneid. by Virgil. Yes, that was a that's, that's a classic. Yeah. Andrew. And then me and Andrew both brought a book. Uh, you know it's old when the author only has one name. Yeah. Well, that's well. He has a full name. Sure. I just don't remember what it is. <laughs> or it's like a three formerly three three word Latin three. Uh, yeah, you can edit that part out. <laughs> oh, no, we're keeping it. <laughs> uh, but what is what is that about? Let's do the history, just like the Aeneid. So the Aeneid is basically Rome's origin story, and so it's it just it starts off with. Because the, the Romans always thought that their history was tied back to the Trojan War. And in Homer's, Homer's Iliad, you have this one of, one of the, the few people that actually escaped from the Trojan War was this guy named Aeneas. And so the Romans kind of thought that their history was tied to Aeneas leaving Troy and establishing uh, a realm in uh, Latium, or what we call Italy. And so that story, the Aeneid, was written by Virgil 800 years after Homer, and it's basically just about how Aeneas went from uh, Troy to what becomes Rome. So it's, it's a really, it's beautifully written. It's considered to be one of the greatest uh, Latin poems. Virgil was the greatest Roman poet. Hmm. And so when you read it, you do get a sense of, of, um, of beauty when you're reading it in, in um, kind of the, um, the poetry and the style and it's just a good story, too. When you're reading something like that, Vincent, when you, do you feel like, you, do you think you're just going to have to, is that a book you're going to have to prepare yourself to read? Like you got to go to the park, you got to find a nice place, or can you just plop that open and dive right in? Um, well, I'm, I, I would classify that as something different than anything I've ever read before because we were assigned uh, the Odyssey in high school, and I didn't read it. <laughs> but I passed the Sister test. Goddard. Yeah, but I passed the test, and I remember reading portions of it. So I don't know what the deal was, but I, I, I cannot remember hardly anything from it other than what's just permeated pop culture. But um, like the sirens and you know, Cyclops and mm -hmm, things like that, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. I could have been in it really well. But um, <laughs> I've not read any older like ancient poetry like that, so I don't know. It'll be a new experience for me. But like as far as books that are lengthy, like I had, I bought last time I was went to this sale for a dollar. I bought a, a copy of a biography on um, 
Louis Mountbatten. Yes. Did you? How far did you get into that? I never even started it. I but, thought you started no, it. No, no. Oh I, I, man! Uh, but it, it's one of the I'm ones I want to get to. But it's such a, it's such. I thought there was a bit of an absurdity to me buying it because <laughs> he's such a minor character, really, in the history. <laughs> he's a major, major character in the, that book. Was thick. The Windsor family, the okay. royal family of uh, England, the current royal family. Uh, he, he too was a grand uh, child of Queen Victoria, but I, uh, he's in the grand scheme of things. If you're, if you're looking at the history of the 20th century, he's not that big a character for such a large biography. And okay. the fact, fact that a, a that who I am, I just uh, you're an American history buff. Yeah, someone it, from nowhere <laughs> reading a book. Do you disagree? Him. Do you think that this man is not I've worth the book? Never even heard of him, Vincent. Do you rely? Do you feel you rely too much? On Andrew for your book selections, are you losing your independence? Not just Andrew, <laughs> maybe other people as well. Maybe a conglomerate of other people. No, I no, still buy a lot no, of books that no one would care to read. Like what? What was okay besides the Louis B. Batten? What? what <laughs> wait, the book that you? Uh, no, I just said like that guy we just talked about, the one that nobody's yeah, ever. Yeah, heard. exactly. Uh, <laughs> I bought a couple older books like that that have Louis B. Batten. That was his name, Louis Mountbatten. The fact that he's getting this much play on a this podcast. This is the most anyone has ever <laughs> talked about him on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. So good. So there you go, Louis Mountbatten. He was killed by the IRA. They bombed him to death. Um, they assassinated him. Sure. It, it only took one. To a nicer guy. It depends on if you're Indian. But um, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, I feel like he's already gotten enough play. I want to know. What is it about ingesting words on a page that sparks your interest, that gets you excited for it? So, Andrew, we'll start with you. Right after you took a drink there. Well, I think, number one, you retain things a lot more when you read them than if you are watching something. Uh, I have not done extensive research on this, but from the little bit of stuff that I've looked at with watching so say i mean i i use youtube as a tool quite a bit with history videos or Mm -hmm. biographies or Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be but you retain things more scientifically when you are reading them off of a page not not even just on a screen you know an ipad or something but when you're reading them you retain it more and i think that books have a depth that videos and even podcasts do not have because Uh, you're you're gonna get easy now no, I love podcast. I, I I've been trying to listen to a lot more podcasts lately, but um, books books have a depth, and you have these authors that are spending a vast amount of time in researching things. Whereas usually, you know, if you're watching or listening to something, they might get in depth on a couple things, but it's books are there. There's just so much more things that you can get out of a book, like or if you're wow. on Wikipedia or whatever, you're not going to get history stories from wikipedia you're going to get kind of the the outline of the event but there's no color there's no okay there's nothing you know when i'm reading books you're you're reading stories and you're 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 putting pieces of a puzzle together from a historical perspective yes and so that's there's a time i think for the kind of wikipedia research where you just want to get something quick but if you want to get into something really in-depth and have some substance behind it you got to open a book that explains so much about your presenting style 
Like when you're up teaching or you're preaching, you go real deep into it. You have so much content. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like it. But that explains so much that uh, you admire how a book tells a story. So that's how much you're ingesting it. I just think it's fascinating. You may not even mean to do it, but it, it's how you uh, communicate. Well, people, Would you disagree? No. Okay. <laughs> no, I did hear what you said. No, I, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, you're pretty, yeah, I think I'm pretty on point with that one. But, um, Vincent, what is it about the page for you? Details. Okay, okay. Because I love details. And so, like, I end up, if I were to watch a movie on something historical, I would be researching it afterwards anyway online. Probably during. Reading and during, depending on if something struck me. I'm like, did that really happen? <laughs> Check your sources. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of something recent but uh, but I, haven't, I guess i haven't watched anything historical in a while but yeah same with youtube i think youtube is great resource for getting lots of information quickly in a a uh, condensed form but if you really want to know something about something you have to read it that's so far we have not topped that as far as information goes i want to talk about i want to switch things up just a little bit and talk about uh the fire at notre dame this past week, which by the time this comes up, this will be a bit passe. But still, it's to me, it's a big deal. Um, I pose the question to you two. Is this a tragedy? Uh, Andrew, I'll start with you. I would say so. I mean, I've never been to Notre Dame, but I was in Strasbourg, France, which is just an hour and a half away from Paris. And couldn't the, make the, the time. Kit. Well, no, I was at, I flew into Paris, but I, I don't know. I have no desire to be in Paris, to be honest with you. Strasbourg was phenomenal. <laughs> I love. I would go back to Strasbourg in a heartbeat. What? What was? I've never been to Strasbourg, so what? Well, it's the the capital of Europe. That's where the European Council is at. Oh, okay. So it's okay. actually a very important city. It switched hands between the French and the Germans. I don't know how many times. <laughs> um, that's the Alsace Lorraine uh, region, and so that. Uh, the Germans took that before World War One, and then after World War One, the French got it back. And so it's a French city with a German name. Wow. And the cathedral there is very beautiful. It started, uh, the building process started, I think, near 1,000, and then it was not completed for about four or 500 years. And so it's a very, very beautiful building. And so when I, when I think of the Notre Dame episode here, I'm kind of comparing it to the Strasbourg Cathedral because I, I was there, I saw the one. I've never seen the one in, in Paris. So I would definitely say that it, it's a tragedy from not necessarily a theological avenue because the, I mean, uh, it's a Catholic church. You know, we, we do not agree with the Catholics in, in many areas, but from the, the history, the architecture, I guess maybe the symbol yeah. As as a as a place dedicated to God, I, I would say that that's a tragedy, and just the fact that how old that building is and how long it's been standing. Exactly when Columbus, <clears throat> a big deal. I read this the other day when Columbus discovered the Americas, that church was already two hundred years old. I mean, that should tell you something right there. The amount of history that has gone into that building, Vince. I know you uh, agree that it's a historical tragedy. Yeah. Have you been thinking about it uh, a bit this week? Yeah. Um, Luckily, I think they were able to save a lot of it. 
Really? Yeah, I think it wasn't a total loss. So good, they're going to rebuild, good. and they've already got like millions of dollars that people had donated. I heard to rebuild. I heard that they're using, uh, for the rebuilding purposes, uh, the video game uh, Assassin's Creed. Hilarious. They're using because it was so detailed, mm-hmm. and how they mimicked uh, Paris and uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame. They're going to look at it to <laughs> try and replicate it. Well, and when you think about it, that. That to me just makes me compare it to, so for an example, when I'm teaching in in class and I'm talking about something, how old something is, you know, I'll say, okay, so how long has the United States been the United States? And then you compare that year range and then you say like this building. Vincent, how long is the United States? Come on. Uh, Since 1776. Uh, I'm 243. I'm not a math person. Beautiful. I'm going to claim it. There we go. (laughs) But when you think about it, you know, so that church is is five, six, seven, eight hundred years old, or whatever the case may be. I mean, that just makes you look at the United States and be like, man, you know, we're we're just getting going, you know, at, at <laughs> under yeah, three hundred yeah, years. I mean, that's 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 kind of how I I see it. I have a question that kind of arose in my mind after it was burning was uh, what they were going to do because, uh, like I said, they've already got money to rebuild it, but. Once you rebuild something like that, most of it becomes not what it was. Or it's yeah. it's just a yeah. replica at that point. Mm-hmm. Which there's obviously going to be very it's gonna be original stuff there. How much of it's gonna be original, what I don't know. But there is something beautiful in a derelict oh. to me. Okay. And so I wondered if would it be better to rebuild something like that with new materials, uh, or to leave it as it is, make it safe. And then still, it would still be a tourist destination, even a burnt out Notre Dame, because there's a lot of stuff around the world that is that fell into disrepair and they just kept it that way. Well, and that's funny because with the Strasbourg Cathedral, if you look at it, it's got almost the the front of the cathedral looks very similar to the Notre Dame the, uh, Cathedral, except that the one in Strasbourg only has one spire. Uh, the one. reason for that is because the I think it was the Archbishop. When they finished the first spire, they didn't have enough money to complete the second one. And they were going to do it, but the archbishop said, you know, it's been hundreds of years or however long. I don't remember the exact time time period. But he said, let's just keep it with one spire because that's more original. Mm-hmm. And so they, they've kept it with one spire. So more of, you know, the originality. Did you mean hundreds of years as it, uh, since they began construction on it? Well, all, I mean, because I know, when it's, they, I know it's generations work on. Right. Yeah. On from when churches. they started that cathedral in the 1000s in Strasbourg, it took them four to five hundred years to actually complete it. Because what wow. you have is you can look at the stages of the of the process of it being built. I mean, it, it does definitely grow. I mean, and even the architecture is going to change vastly from the 1000s to more of a Renaissance yeah. look in the 1400s. I got it. You know, I was blown away being a being in Rome, but then I think it was, um, what's that huge cathedral? in Vatican. The, well, yeah, the Vatican in Rome, but, but there was another one that... Milan it, or was, Venice? It was Venice. Okay, Falls. Church of St. Mark's Saint in Mark's, Venice. Saint Mark's. Yep. And uh, St. Mark's had the most, just everything was so detailed. And when I found out that this doesn't, you know, it didn't just go up in a year, this was families dedicated their lives to the purpose of not just building it but constantly restoring it constantly fixing it i mean i'm sure there's a 
mean, I don't know if it's still that deep, but I'm sure there's an a, uh, an official, unofficial family that, uh, or families that are put in charge of restoring, or on the docket to help with the restoration of or a corporation. Oh, probably corporation now, but I mean that. Say what you want about you know the Catholic Church itself, the dedication of the people preserving God's house. That that inspired me a bit, even though. You know, they thought by doing these works that got them into heaven, that was a bit askew. But that dedication to it really inspired me there. Now, let's talk about um, Rome real quick. Have you have you been? I've been to Rome. What did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. Um, it's... Saliva thought it was dirty. Yeah, I was I was trying to think of a nice way to say it. <laughs> yeah, uh, parts parts of it are dirty, and and you really, I, I'm not someone that that just goes off and says, oh, you know, you can feel a spirit, you know, that kind of stuff. I try to be kind of careful with with that type of uh, phrasing, but you you really can feel something when you go there. Really, and I think in a negative way, uh, when you're walking through the Vatican, you can just, I don't want to say oppression, but whatever it is. You know, you got the statues all over the place, and yeah. they are the. You got people in there that are basically worshiping these statues. You know, I don't know another way to put it. But you know, maybe from, I was just carnal when I went through. <laughs> I was, you know, I was in high school. But I gotta sure. say, you know, I was overwhelmed by the art and the beauty yep. of all the architecture. And even the landscaping just blew me away. Now, I say that with focus on the Catholic Church. In general, I absolutely loved it because ancient Rome was that what was conflicting, got me That was a in, conflicting trip history. for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did a lot more with regard to the ancient history than we did with, with church history. Okay, okay. But um, I still, I will never forget when we were um, going to the Colosseum, the Flavian Amphitheater, and we were in the underground subway, and we walk up the stairs. We're across the street, and you walk out, and across the street is the Coliseum. Wow. And I still remember that so very vividly, and it's just massive. And then we, we had a tour, and we got to go all around it and got to go on the reconstructed floor and uh, just just all that stuff. Rome, Rome is what got me into history in the first place when How I was 10 or 11. Oh, when ten, I went to Rome? Ten, yeah. So when I went 10, to Rome, 10 or 11? No, when I went to Rome, it was uh, 2014, so I was okay. um, 23. Where's Rome at on your list of places you want to visit? It's in Italy. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what? It's one of those. We're not going to have it. We're not going to have it. Where is it on your, like, if you uh, had a list up of, there, probably in the top 10. Top 10? Yeah. Where's number one for you? That's hard for me. Because Normandy. It, it, yeah, it kind of goes. <laughs> Normandy is high up there. Great. Now it, we're back in France. It goes back and forth. I would love to go to Normandy. Um, I'd say Rome is high up there. Venice is high up there. Uh, Paris is high up there. London, very high up there. Um, trying to think of places outside of Europe. Uh, I would like to go to Moscow, St. Petersburg. Those are in Europe, I know, but... Um, do you think of England as Jerusalem the, is very high? Jerusalem's probably top five for me. Top five. Yeah. Do you think of England as the motherland? Um, in a way, because the queen mother is there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, if I was to have a queen, I'd want her to be my queen. But she's a classy broad. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that that would be Jerusalem, London, Paris. Uh, I. 
Paris and Normandy are not that far apart. If no. that would that could easily be one trip. Well, a lot of places in Europe, so, even in different countries, could be one trip. You've been to Jerusalem. Yep. Uh, what was your experience like? I loved it. Jerusalem was was phenomenal. Uh, was it? Was there any times where you felt in danger from uh, the conflict? Well, n- <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to answer that. We had one situation that was interesting. We were in the the old city, and uh, we're in the marketplace. Which, if you've been there, it's shops and shops and shops. And part, some of the time you're in kind of inside, the other time you're outside. And if if you don't know where you're going, you would get lost and never find your way out. <laughs> it's it's crazy, but it's also just a very uh, great experience. That sounds like But fun. when we were there, <clears throat> we were kind of wrapping it up. We were about to leave. And there was, I don't even know, I mean, it was an ambul- ambulance, but not like, you know, like like a car i mean i don't even remember exactly what it looked like it was like a what sound kind of thing some kind of (laughs) siren he had some some guy yelling at the top of his lungs and and uh what had happened is that there were these soldiers and this lady for some reason or another attacked one of the soldiers and they shot her and killed her and so no we didn't see it but we heard about it later but we were in the same area we heard the commotion and and all that so it wasn't like we didn't know what was going on and thankfully we got out and everything uh, when we were at the the west wall, the the only structure that was connected to the temple that's left standing, it was a part of the foundation, so it wasn't the temple itself. But um, we were there at night, and when we were leaving, there was a lot of people kind of at the exit, and then soldiers with very big machine guns all over the place. And so um, it di- it didn't look like things were were crazy or going to get crazy, but it was there was kind of a uh, an uneasy it interest. Go, it could go I guess. somewhere either. Yeah, and and, and and you didn't. I I don't remember feeling any crowd tension. You know how okay. you can just kind of walk through and you can kind of see something's going on. I didn't. I didn't see I that didn't or, or feel any it. of the spirits at the Vatican. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty. So uh, those were the two things I would say. But I never. I never felt concerned or I, um, worried at all. Did you? Uh, did you go the Wailing Wall? Did you get the the West Wall. Yeah. Oh, the West yep. Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you, did you put catch a pr- anything? <laughs> I did not. Did you put a put a prayer in? I did not. No. Okay. Well, do you have any questions on his trip to Jerusalem? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was? I want to know because it's not like you're with him all the time. I understand that, and somebody as dynamic as uh, Paul Mooney. What was it like being on that trip with him? Well, that so I went in 2017, and that was right when Sister Mooney was having all of her medical oh, problems. Oh, he didn't get to go. Well, no, wait for it. Okay, I'm wait waiting for it. For it. <clears throat> so for that that trip, I'm trying to remember. It was just under two weeks, I think, ten or eleven days. And the last four or five days, we were based out of Jerusalem, and we would take little day trips out. But we were in Jerusalem for uh, those last four days. And so the first week or so, it, Brother Pedigo was leading the trip, and we were having a great time. Well, then when we get to Jerusalem, we got there the first day, and we went to this hotel where this very, from from my rem, um, memory, a very world-famous uh, artist, a sculpture. And he, he created all kinds of, uh, well, so, you know, in, in pastor's office, the, the Samson. And yeah. so this guy was the one that created oh, those, cool. those little artifacts. And, uh, 
so we were at this hotel for what seemed like forever. And, and there was a few people still looking and a couple people that had bought some things, but, and I'm kind of thinking, okay, you know, why are we still here? You know, let's, <laughs> let's go. Well, then all of a sudden the doors burst open and brother Mooney walks in uh, of course. and Making he's like, an what's entrance. up everybody? You know? And, and so I, I didn't even know what to say. I just stared at him. You know, it was like just a really awesome he surprise. And just appeared. Right and, there. Yeah. And so obviously they were brother Pettigrew was waiting for, for pastor to, to arrive and so that was that did was he just no pastor was going to be there? oh yeah yeah oh, but okay. nobody else did i thought nobody what else a did. great coincidence that yeah. was maybe <laughs> no, so brother pedigo just felt like he needed to wait <laughs> so that was really cool and i and i really really hold that trip uh very close to me because that was that was a really fun time to be with pastor because um i i kind of would help him out you know make sure he was okay because we did a lot of walking in in a lot of those places and so i just I had a lot of fun getting to talk with him and hang out with him in, in a really kind of a unique circumstance. And I got a picture with him overlooking Jerusalem and some stuff like I've that. Just that a, just a really a great neat, picture. Yeah. Just that's a really picture. neat time. Yeah. If the Lord should Terry, would you ever go back? I'm hoping to go back next year. Uh, Preston Keller is doing like an archeological trip that I really would like to, to go is on. Preston Keller into all that mess. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, he just figured he'd organize a trip. He, he found it. He found a niche market. And he's just going to exploit it. <laughs> so there, there, there are so many, so many Andrew places, so, far. <laughs> so many places in the world that I would like to go. But I, I would love to be a part of an archaeological trip. Let's take a break from those two and check in to see how was Bryson's day. Bryson, how was your day? My day was lame. Why was your day lame? It was uh, boring. I had more time in it than I uh, wanted for my day. Let's pause. <laughs> pause. Pause. Your complaint about your day is that you had too much time? When you don't have many things to do in your day, when you have too much time, it, it gets very dull. Ugh. No one can feel for you there. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't care. For me, it was dull, and I'm all I care about. Oh, well, <laughs> I'd say you're at that age, but I think you're you're just there for the long haul. <laughs> that's like a that's like a constant. That's you're fine. you're coasting on that one. That's fine. If I just constantly complain about how boring my day is, I think I've ha- I'll have a good life. <laughs> What are you going to do when uh, something exciting happens in your day? Just going to panic. I'm not going to know how to take it at all. <laughs> but that's a big what if. That's a huge what if. Let's let's think about something exciting happened. So you valeted tonight. Yep. Because you're a valet, and we've explained that out in this thing. It's canon. <laughs> Since our hiatus, you've had a, a new position. You're no longer selling vacuum cleaners. <laughs> Door to door, no. Door to door. You're no longer uh, working at the FedEx, getting rid of all of our packages that nope. we paid for. You are now parking people's cars. I've been a uh, part-time valet through all of these other positions, though. <laughs> really? Yeah. So now this is gone full scale. Mm-hmm. What, what, what... Was okay. There had to be a peak point <laughs> in the evening. So let's look at that. What was the peak point in the evening? 
Um, so my boss calls halfway through the shift and says, hey, have you gotten busy yet? I said, no. Uh, why? What's up? And he said, well, there's a girl on the other side of downtown that needs you to go help her out because she locked her key in her box. And the key that you have for your box is compatible to her box. And you have to go unlock it because she has somebody waiting on her right now that needs her car. It's an adventure. Yeah. So I had to go and... Uh, you left your post. Yep. Hoping that no one would need their cars. Yeah, because I was I had like five or six cars at that point. And it was going to take you how long to get to the other pl- place? About 10, 10, 15 minutes. Ugh. And you were going to show up, unlock, and then head straight back. Mm-hmm. So you were on a time crunch. Very much so, yes. Did it take you all of 10 minutes to get there? Uh, yeah, at least. Really? You weren't, uh, like, trying to cut it down to 8 or 7? No. Nope. Okay. Of course <laughs> not. Uh, I, don't, I don't speed very much at work. It makes me anxious. Really? No. Well, is that are you saying that just in case your boss is listening to this? I, I no, I don't really care about my boss at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's on record. <laughs> uh, what is uh, so that was the high point? That yep, that that's how dull my day is. You went and saved the day somewhere else and came back for the rest of your shift. Yeah. Was anybody waiting on you? No, nobody was waiting. Nothing happened while you weren't there. <laughs> Literally nothing. Story of most of our lives. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Let's get back to our guests. Man. Uh, let's come back to the States. Uh, what is... Uh, I want you to talk about your recent trip to Florida. And you, uh, Vincent, went to... The John F. Kennedy Space Center? Yes. Oh, man, I remembered it, which that's a big deal for me. Yes, it was the Kennedy Space Center. And first man in space. Mm-hmm. Kennedy was the first man yeah. in space? No, <laughs> it was it a wasn't. secret mission. That's a lie. No, wait, uh, really? Is that true? No. Guys are trolling. Um, Yuri, wasn't it? Yuri Gagarin, yeah, Russian guy. Well, we're not counting it. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about uh, your experience at the space station. Um, it was... So it was in the late February period, and we left like forty degree weather, and we showed up, and it was somewhere like sixty five to seventy, which oh, was already beautiful. a wonderful thing. But so um, we uh, actually went out to the area just to see it, just to see what we could see, because we had time to kill. And it's only we landed in Orlando; that's where we were staying, and it's only an hour away on the East Coast. So we went out there. Well. Uh, we decided, hey, we're out here. Uh, we might as well go to the museum, see what it's got. And uh, it was a bit pricey, but we both, me and my friend William, both decided that if it was, uh, we would probably feel that we we missed it if we didn't do it, even though it yeah. was kind of yeah. pricey. We figured we'd regret it. So, Have you ever been there, Andrew? I've not. Okay. I've only been to Florida twice, wow. so I'm not as... You're you not know. as American traveler. I'm not. I'm not a huge... Lover of Florida, because there's, there's there's not a whole lot of great like a lot. There are states in the union that have great like we went to Charleston in September. Union. There's great uh, Revolutionary War history and Civil War history there, and you barely get any World War II history here because it wasn't fought here, yeah. other than Pearl Harbor and there's certain 
things like museums and stuff. But you mean here in monuments. Indiana? In the United States. Right, right. How many states have you been to? Uh, that's a good question. I I can't remember if I've been to over half. I know I've been to a lot. Uh, I've never been to Alaska and Hawaii, but contiguous, con- con- contiguous, yeah, contiguous 48 states. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, oh, I'd have to think about it. But um, I know there's a lot of states out west I haven't been to. That's primary. How many have you been to? Close to 30. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm kind mm. of the same way. I've not been to almost all of the states on the far west coast. Yeah. <clears throat> I've been to California. I've, I've been in Phoenix or uh, was it Phoenix? No, I've been in Arizona, though, Grand Canyon, uh, Texas, and then I would say, or Oklahoma, then I would say, I think, yeah, I was in the Las Vegas airport. So doesn't was, count. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't count. count. It doesn't count. I can't then, say that. Then, yeah. I mean, I had an option. I had a, I was on my way back from San Diego, layover in Las Vegas for like two hours. So I'm sitting in there watching people because there's slot machines everywhere. So you're, I'm just sitting in the, the terminal watching, you know, this lady put, looks like the same diamond time after time. Uh, eventually, uh, there's a call over the intercom saying, we have uh, an offer for somebody who's willing to give up their seat. You'll have a hotel downtown and, uh, you know, a voucher for food, a voucher for this, and a show. And I was like, oh, man, that would be super cool. But I had uh, work early in the morning. So I did the responsible thing. This would have been a far better story if Devin would have just spent the night in Vegas. So anyways, uh, you're down in the Space Center. Yes. Uh, so the first thing we did was go to the uh, Astronauts, or yeah, it's an Astronauts Hall of Fame Museum, uh, which was really cool. Astronauts and, are probably the true American heroes, would you agree? Yes. They were specifically designed oh. <laughs> to be. Oh, really? Yeah. Like uh, one of the – so Don Isley, which is a little-known astronaut, he was actually one of the Apollo astronauts. Uh, so they hired astronauts in big groups. and they So like the first seven when I was the Mercury 7 in 1959, and then they hired – they didn't hire one every year, so it was whenever they needed them, so – Hired nine guys in 62. That was like Armstrong, Lovell's group. And then uh, in 63, I think, 65 and whatever. But anyway, those first five groups were the guys who flew all of the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, Skylab, and uh, Apollo Soyuz missions. Cool. And um, so one of them, it's a lot of backstory. For, <laughs> oh, but, <laughs> no, you're fine. But, That's uh, what I wanted. A lot of those guys that were selected didn't end up flying uh one guy that so one of the guys that did fly there a lot of them only flew one mission because there were so many of them kind of has a seniority thing okay uh, uh so it was apollo 7 it was our first apollo mission that actually went off t- into space because apollo 1 was actually um the, uh, was the one where they had the fire that killed all three astronauts so Ooh. they retired the mission number to apollo 1 that was in memorial to the astronauts and then so Apollo 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 were all tests. And I don't actually think that they happened after Apollo 1. I think they were before Apollo 1. And then there were a couple tests after Apollo 1 kind of saying, yeah, we've got this under control. Because it was a big deal, obviously, if you're losing astronauts on the pad. But anyway, so um, uh, so Apollo 7 goes up. You have a commander who Wally Shira, who is one of the original seven, who's decided, name. yes, Wally, Wally Shira, and he's decided this is it for him. 
that's the last mission he's going to go on. He's done it long enough. I think that's 1968, so by that time, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he had two guys from, like, group five, group three, and Eisel uh, uh, and Cunningham. Oh, and man. Uh, look at that. <laughs> I think I, I can't remember. <laughs> R. Walter Cunningham or something like that, and then uh, Don Isley. But anyway, mm-hmm. Isley, Isley um, was at, in the... He always acted like he was better than the family, I heard. You know, yeah. <laughs> never showed up to any of the reunions. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Isley was getting a divorce as he was like getting ready to go. So he went on a mission, and that was a big no-no. It was almost like a Ooh. stain. That was so it was because they wanted all their astronauts to have a oh, pretty so good this I- was, image. This was uh, this was also a big publicity. Yes, uh, not a stunt, but it's all about. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's all about the image. Oh, you said it far begin when I was. It was kind of a half-handed question, saying they were the true American heroes, but they were presented yeah. to be these are the elite of the yeah. elite. Well, and to contrast that with the Cold War, you have. Yeah. You know the image of the Russian astronauts. Uh, yes. I'm sure that they're also trying to compete with. Uh-huh. And you had to. So one of the big things about NASA at that period was they had to justify the money they were spending because they were spending so much money, and it. And you could easily argue that it was frivolous because we're not <laughs> going there at that point. There was all theory of what we could do. We had never put a person on the moon. We didn't even know if we could. So I mean, they, they have the, by faith. the most brilliant minds doing it, you know. So, but uh, anyway, so these guys they get up there, and they all get head colds, or one or two of them get head colds, and then they start they get irritable after a couple of days, and that's what they call the mutiny in space. And Shira uh, is going back and forth with Mission Control about not wanting to wear his helmet going in because he's afraid that <laughs> the the change in pressure was going to blow his eardrums. So he wanted to be able to hold his nose and push the air out through the ears as yeah. he's going down to regulate pressure or whatever. I don't, I don't quite understand the argument, but in the transcripts, he's going back and forth with uh, another Mercury 7 astronaut, Deke Slayton, who's the mission director or the flight director at that yeah. point. And he decides who goes on what mission. So he, they're going back and forth, and he's they're trying to be professional. Well, at least Deke Slayton is trying to be professional. He's Not like, We're sure. just letting you know this is what's going to happen. And uh, Shira says, thanks, babe. <laughs> And they, they, what a what an incredibly yeah. passive aggressive yeah. thing to say. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, these guys entered entered NASA together, so they were like all the same. But so they knew each other almost ten years by that point. But uh, yeah, we'll so blame it on his head cold. They, it's interesting because the image of of these people, like they're all American heroes. They live their lives completely above board and above reproach and. A lot of those first guys were all they, – they basically got guinea pigs, test pilots who were – I mean, they were they were dying. Test pilots, that was, a, it was a, yeah, yeah. a low life expectancy job because you're flying machinery that you're literally testing. Uh, and they have so many crazy stories. And most of those guys know what it's like to uh, eject, yeah, which is crazy. Most people – I'm, I'm assuming most pilots will go throughout their I mean, career but and like, never have to eject. So how many, uh, did Neil Armstrong do any test piloting? Yeah. He, mean, that was, that's actually, he was one of the first, he and another guy from his group, Elliot C., who ended up dying in a, in a trainer before he went into space. He, him and uh, another astronaut were on the docket to be in a Gemini 8, I believe, or Gemini 7, one of the two, 6, Gemini 6, and they, they got an A. 
a crash of a teeth or I won't even try that. But anyway, yeah, it was a it was a plane they crashed it and they both died. And then uh, so he that guy Elliot C and um, Neil Armstrong were the two of the first um, te- civilian test pilots. All the other guys were test pilots, but they were mostly military, still in active military. What? I mean, what do you think within our lifetime? I do. If the Lord should tarry, I think they're going to commercialize space travel. I think Elon would do it. Yeah, I think that's what his idea is. It's like maybe he's not going to take us all the way to Mars on a trip. I mean, ideally, I think that's what he wants to do. But couldn't you see like cruise ship type spacecraft just mm-hmm. take just going around the go around extremely the globe? Extremely wealthy. Oh yeah, like, and lucky. Like I'm sure they would do these promotions. <laughs> like you could win a trip to space, tripped around the world. And so these extremely rich people are in these cabins <laughs> with Betty Sue from. <laughs> Tallahassee, Florida. <laughs> Can you believe my luck? I had a two-hour layover in Vegas, and I played the scratch card. Won me a trip to space. My lord, there's just so much rocket here. <laughs> Hope it don't blow up. I can turn the gravity off in my room. <laughs> uh, we need to just think about that possibility that within our lifetime. There could be commercial space travel. Think about uh, what are the two uh, ships that were lost on uh, one during launch and one was during reentry. Correct? Yeah. Oh, um, yes. The the space shuttles, the Challenger uh, and the Columbia. Okay, so Challenger failed to go out. So yeah, it was. It had. I think it flew for something like twenty seven seconds and then it exploded. And then the. Um, Challenger and the Columbia, Columbia failed in re-entry. in re-entry. Yeah, I was thinking about that on the way here. How could you watch that and still think? I mean, I guess. And at that point, they they figured that they had perfected it because those weren't first missions. Those were no, first, no, no, no. Especially no. with the, the space shuttle, which had because the space shuttle was specifically designed because you like all those Apollo uh, command service modules. You can go see in museums because they only flew once, and then you have the uh, the rockets. Basically, they were weren't built to be reused. Whereas the, they decided to be cost effective to start building. They built the space shuttle, which could land like a plane and could go back up, and the solid state rockets could be reused. So, like they, if they once they disconnect, they fall back to Earth and they have parachutes. So, what? So why? Do you think that, I mean, this is a little conspiracy theory kind of territory here. Uh, here we go. Here we go. So you mentioned the Cold War. Now, I know there was the space race was a big part of the Cold War. Um, they technically did win the first first battle there. They got a man into space safely down to Not Earth. only that, they won like the first three or four battles. Really? Because they, they're, they're the first people, or they, they got the first, they, uh, Sputnik first uh, satellite into space, and then the first man into space, and the first EVA, which is extravehicular activity. So you get them up in orbit, and then they get out. And we actually had a mission planned for that to be the first human EVA <laughs> And uh, as they were getting ready. They did it. So I, I think there was one. You know that was on purpose. Well, it all was on purpose, yeah. They, they knew our schedule. 
and they were just going to make us look there like was, idiots. There was one major mission that we moved up because we knew that they were planning it, something like that. <laughs> we, are, there's, we are a bunch of petty people. Yeah, well, if you're trying to justify the amount of money you're spending, <laughs> you got to beat them somewhere, and we, we did beat them to the moon. And I don't think we they did. ever went. I don't think the Soviets ever made it to the moon. I mean, then they're, then they're really not that petty. No. I mean, if they were as petty as they were making themselves out to be, they would have gone to the moon, took video of them pushing our flag over, yeah. and then... <laughs> Lighting it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're... It's interesting, because, well, eventually, like, there's the big uh, view is that we just outspent the Soviet Union. That's how we beat them, because yeah. they, they just couldn't They ran sustain. out of money. They ran out of money. <laughs> Literally. So I think that was the deal. We, we could go further than they could. They could probably beat us to where, as far as they could go, but it's it's also I mean there are benefits to having a a, a state run everything because then mm-hmm. everyone has to do what the government says. It's different when it's a civilian run organization subsidized by the government using people who have free a lot of personal liberties and. But I mean I would say for as much as NASA, I mean they they really worked hard. I mean to think about getting a man to announce you're going to put a man on the moon and I think Kennedy announced it in '62. And they got him in, he said, within this decade. And they did in 69, so seven years. What was that uh, book that you got um, in regards to Russia? Was it a certain time period? Or what was so it? The, yeah, this time, Neat. the book I got was on the just a general history of the Russian czars. So about the 1500s to the early 1900s. And the, the last time we had went to that same book sale in the winter. It was a blizzard, and that's a whole, maybe another story for another time. But <laughs> that time I got a, a few more books on the the Russian Revolution, will stop 1917, and then uh, kind of an, another book, I think, on the Romanovs, so the specific, uh, the last R- uh, Russian Tsar dynasty. So this, this last book, though, was about the 1500s to the early 1900s. And then you got the book on Nixon. A couple books written by Nixon. By Nixon. One was his memoirs, I believe. Okay. Uh, and then one was the in the arena was a lot smaller. I, I got to tell you, I when you anybody who knows you well enough knows that when you dive into a subject, you kind of immerse yourself. Mm-hmm. It affects your personality. I'm a little worried when you kind of dive into this Nixon memoir to his autobiography here, how it's going to affect you. Well. Luckily, that is probably going to be down the, the line that I actually read it. It's going to become very <laughs> yeah. scandalous. No, yeah. it's just... <laughs> probably start talking like him and be real secretive and uh, record everything <laughs> from my own memoirs. Oh, People man. have got to know. Do you think there are accurate comparisons between Nixon and Trump? They're both white men from America. Okay. Uh, I... I mean, they're both president. Uh, they're no, because you all. I always hear that's a weird one. That's they're only that you, but you do hear the left throw that in. Richard Nixon was literally tapping his own phones in the White House, recording everything for his own memoirs, M- memoirs, memoirs, memoirs. For his however own you memoirs. want to pronounce it. But um, so that's that is like one minor issue of how they're not the same, but um. One, Nixon was extremely political, probably one of the smartest presidents we've ever had. 
and he was very, very. I'd say he aligns more with like a character from a from a political drama than he does uh, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump and Richard Nixon are two very different personalities. I that's probably the main difference is their personality. Richard Nixon knows how to game the system, whereas Donald Trump wants to either own it, smash it, or bend it to his will, which I guess Richard Nixon wanted to bend it to his will too. He just was more clever about it. That was One is a highly intellectual, uh, I almost said psychotic, but that's not what I meant. Um, highly intellectual, well-thought-out, uh, Machiavellian-type thinker, <laughs> and the other is Donald Trump. I, mean, he, he, I think Donald Trump will eventually be the name of the archetype, like the Han Solo archetype. Mm -hmm. He is the it's a fictional character, but he's the uh, yeah. Donald Trump will be the figurehead of his own archetype. Donnie is a character. Uh, I have a one of my favorite birthday presents I ever got was a troll doll, but it's of Donald Trump with his hair just bright orange, swooped <laughs> to the side. It's awesome, but it's it's accurate. Because the man is, a, you know, he trolls. Uh, I think he does. I think he trolls the media. Yeah. I think he knows exactly the buttons to push. Yeah, I think it's it's funny because the, the media responds to everything as though it's just the end of the world, or they it, it, they almost take everything too seriously. I, like I think it's the fourteenth century. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and exactly, it's the end of the world. What a callback. Uh, <laughs> So I don't know. I, I do think it's funny because I do think there are times where President Trump will say something, and I, like you're saying, maybe he's trolling, and then they just go. Yeah. The left will just take that. Well, there were certainly some trolls. Go, yeah, go yeah. crazy with it. You know, because it, it. I mean, just look at. I know there's people on social media who only post things to just get reactions, mm -hmm. to just have people talking about their feed, their post, them. Uh, just even though it's not necessarily good publicity, it's still publicity in, in some sense of the word. Not that people are ever going to forget about Donald Trump, yeah. that he exists. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, I don't know. Uh, if, if I were, the, there is a lot of, there's a lot of uh, stuff that he has to deal with that I don't think, I wonder why he deals with it. Like, I don't know. With press Maybe he's obsessive. Maybe he just uh, yeah. gets it in his crawl and he's got to get it out. Yeah, but I, I, I do think that it doesn't matter even if he had a change of heart <laughs> and he decided to become a very, like, less, uh, uh, what, what is impulsive, but that's not the right. He is impulsive. Provocative. Uh, yes, but I, he's very uh, um, instinctive. Yeah. Instinctual. That's basically what he is but yeah i think donald trump is so instinctual that that's you it's i don't see i i don't believe or i can't see how you could string together a like solid narrative of this is what i believe if you're all about instinct because you're like you dodge or you need to dodge mm -hmm. you dip you, mm -hmm. you whatever he zigs and zags will you zig or zag uh he doesn't seem like he has a master strategy and then he like does all that stuff to figure out how to get it. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a great analogy about a, a compass 
a compass will always give you true north, but it, it doesn't know where the, the canyons and the, the mountains are. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you may have to go around certain things, but I don't think that's what he does. I think he just goes out there. <laughs> He's got core principles that he yes. applies to himself, and but uh, there's not much more than those core principles. I don't know. I don't see much strategy. I believe people around him, I believe he surrounded himself with people who probably have a lot of strategy. Yeah, I, I agree. I'd I agree. Jared Kushner is probably a strategist in a way, or a big way. I don't know. So how do you think, Andrew, the church is handling the current PC culture? Uh, let's say the church is in the United Pentecostal Church. Do you think we are, because um, we do have to conform. No, no, opposite. Because <laughs> we do have to hold up the bloodstained banner at all times. It, are we going to drown in this PC culture, or do you think we're going build to build up a wall, build up a standard there? Well, I think you have to build up a wall uh, and a standard based on biblical truth, right? Because if you can't name issues, you're, you're not going to build the kingdom of God. And there, there are so many things that are trying to tear down the, the kingdom of God that if we're not standing on the, our biblical principles and standing against the spirit of the age and, and the sin that's rising up in the world, we're not ever going to build a church. Yeah. So the church will cease to be the church if we conform to the culture. And I think that people do, people are going to see us in, in how we're standing for truth or not standing for truth. And when we're standing for truth, there, there are some people that are going to respond with hostility. Mm-hmm. But then I've seen circumstances where people, even people that, are totally against the Bible, in some cases a very atheistic, and then some people just indifferent to where they've seen myself or my family or other people that are standing for truth, and they're like, man, I really respect you for what you're doing, uh-huh. and, and you are actually what a true Christian is because you're actually standing for what the Bible says. Um, there was a, one of my classmates at, when I was at Minnesota State University she was about as, as far away from the Bible as someone could be. And, uh, I, we talked, uh, a couple times and, and one time after class, you know, she said, you know, I just, I really do respect Christians that even though I don't agree with them, I respect them a lot because of their stance for what the Bible says. I don't, she said, I don't respect Christians that say they're Christian, but then they'll say homosexuality is okay or, or this sin or that sin really? or whatever. Okay. So the, so the, she had, the consistency she had was very important for the, okay. That's, that's very uh, interesting. But that, um, have you mentioned that story in class before? Yeah, I think okay, so. Okay. Yeah. Finish the in story adults, then. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I know this story. I want the people to hear it. Well, I, I met this, this classmate, her name was Lynn. And, uh, that, that time when I was still living in Minnesota, just that semester, Minnesota had passed a law of approving of homosexual marriage. And that night, Lynn and her partner went and got married and she was very atheistic, uh, very anti-religion. And, um, we, we had, several discussions in class. I had just one class with her and she's one of the nicest people. If you're just to talk to her, she was just very, very uh, nice and, and a kind person. But in class she would, 
at every opportunity she could, she would say something against the Bible or against God. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to be a good witness, you got to be able to speak the truth in love and, and be a witness. You know, you're not there to win an argument. You're there to, uh, to um, show God's love and, you know, show, show why the Bible is true. Right. And there, there was a couple times where she would say something. The, the one that I remember very distinctly, we were in class, and I don't even remember what we were talking about the exact topic, but she made a comment about how she just hated religion so much because every religion blames women for something. Women are always basically the, the, the scapegoat for whatever problem that religion sees. Okay. And so she listed off several things and then, you know, this religion says this and this religion says that. And then her last statement was, and the Bible blames Eve. Uh-huh. And so I just, just raised my hand and I said, well, yeah, yeah. you know, the Bible never blames Eve. And it was funny because I know by the look on her face, she had never heard that before. And she always had a response to anything anyone would say. And she, she didn't say anything. And I said, you know, and I quoted Romans 5. I said, the, the Bible says in Romans 5 that by one man, sin entered into the world. And showing that Adam was the, the one that brought sin into the world. And then, of course, Jesus, the one man by obedience, brought righteousness and uh, so just little things like that, I would just try to slide little things in and just to kind of, as Brother Kilman, would, Brother Kilman would say, to plant seeds of doubt into her worldview. Mm-hmm. And so one day I, I went up to her after class. I was like, hey, Lynn, you know, I, obviously we were, we're on very opposite ends of, of our belief systems. I was like, what, you know, what, what would you think about going to uh, just going and hanging out after class one day and just kind of talking? And she's like, oh, yeah, let's do that. That'd be cool. So we, we talked for maybe an hour and a half, two hours after class one day, and it was a good, it was a really good conversation. And at the end of it, she told me that she really appreciated me listening to her and talking to her. She said, you're the only Christian that I've ever met that has not condemned me for my beliefs. Wow. And of course that, that's a, a pretty big thing to say, right? I mean, because if, I don't know what Christian she's interacted with, and I don't know what people she's um, grown up with or whatever her, her previous life was, was like. But I really think that, so when we're talking, your, your question was about the PC culture and the church. We have to be able to identify issues and stand on our beliefs. We don't have to be jerks about it. We don't have to be hateful. Yeah. But we, we do have to stand up for what is right. And, and I I, they see that. That's it. Yep. They see it. And I truly believe there are those who don't, who don't care. If you're not agreeing with them, then you're absolutely wrong. Right. But I think there are those who respect a genuine stance and are able to have conversation. They just, uh, they don't shout the loudest. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, gentlemen, I want to thank you both for being my guest today on To Be Determined and uh, this uh, little experiment of mine. Hey, uh, well, I guess that's... Uh, means it's time to go get something to eat. Well, uh, thanks again. Vince, last words? I haven't thought of them yet. <laughs> Pick up a book. <laughs> Not in life. Okay, like before you die. Vince, give us I a book recommendation. I, can, I hope that I can write some great last words and then I have the opportunity to deliver them before I go. Uh, good book recommendation? Just one. Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, what is that about? It's, uh, well, I guess you'll have to find out. Okay, by whom? By, <laughs> by whom? J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance? Mm-hmm. 
Hillbilly Elegy. Okay. Okay. Andrew, same question. Uh, so a book I've been buying. So when I go preaching out, I'll buy this book, uh, The Righteous by Sir Martin Gilbert. Do you buy it every time you go out to preach? Uh, oftentimes when I give it to the pastor. And you throw it out into the audience. <laughs> no, I give it to the pastor as a gift. Gun. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a book gun. Vince invented oh, it. That is, that but is dangerous. It's, <laughs> it only shoots paperback. But this this book is about, it's The Righteous. It's it's called that because of the, it's it's about people that helped Jews during the Holocaust. Oh, okay. And so Sir Martin Gilbert is considered to be one of the best historians of the last 100 years. He wrote over, I'm trying to remember, I think it's 88 books and just a phenomenal mind. He's the, he was the official biographer of Winston Churchill and mm. he's written the longest biography on an individual ever written before and that was on Winston Churchill. I think it was like eight volumes or something like that. And this book on the righteous is just a phenomenal look at, at a topic that... We, we, as a culture, I think we, we, we know about the Holocaust and we, all the, all those terrible things, but there was a positive side to the Ooh, Holocaust easy. in the sense of the people that uh, rose up against tyranny yes, and the people that, absolutely. that stood for helping their fellow human beings out. You, you got to be quicker on that last end of that sentence. Cause <laughs> as a tall blonde haired blue eyed fella, you can't be saying the positive stuff about the Holocaust and then just delay on, on the uh, delivery on that. Well, that was my fun uh, shooting from the hip uh, conversation with uh, Vince and Andrew. Uh, I'm always so humbled and honored that anybody would, uh, anytime somebody comes on and uh, shares their time, their testimony, their thoughts and opinions, and uh, just they're up for having a good conversation and uh, just being a part of this program. It, it really, it, it's, it's quite the honor that uh, I have uh, great friends like that who are willing to invest in this. And I, uh, so I want to thank them for uh, being a part of episode 25. Vince and Andrew, thank you. I also want to thank, uh, oh, who else do I want to thank? Cole Beaver and uh, Vito Giovanni for helping produce the music for this program. I want to thank uh, Kevin Brzezinski for uh, being a uh, off the books uh, producer, you know, just advisor for this endeavor, and uh, Julia Ranking for all of her encouragement to even get this thing started. I really, really appreciate it. All right, so stay tuned. Uh, oh yeah, no, one more. I always forget this, and it's the most important part. Thank you, thank you, listeners. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell others about it. Let people know that we're back on, and that. Uh, they need to get back on the wagon, get back to listening. We have so many exciting things coming up. But like I said, just stay tuned, stay close. Uh, we'll let you know in upcoming episodes. Uh, we have new podcasts that are being developed. And uh, we have not just episodes of TBD, but by uh, previous guests. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just exciting stuff. So you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, so like I said, stay plugged in. Subscribe and uh, share the link, share the podcast. Let's grow it. Uh, let's, let, you know, we might have to start from the ground up again because <laughs> uh, of the hiatus. But uh, 
it's okay. Let's do it. I'm uh, counting on all of my faithful dozen to help this thing grow. So until next time, y'all, keep thinking on the good things. Oh, done.